Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sess with Torrin. Uh, this is episode 21 um, of season 2. In today's episode we will be covering three women. Um, if you are familiar with the film, the most recent film, Oppenheimer, um, which I would highly recommend you go see if you haven't. Um, I will be covering the two, the three women in that film. Um, just a little bit of a background on them. And so, yeah. So, before I get into it, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Sess with Torrin, as well as on Facebook. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Torrin underscore Yoffa. And you can also follow our podcasts. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, if you could rate our podcast, um, it would really help us out. But without further ado and further blabbering, let's get into it. So, Jean Tatlock was born February 21st, 1914, and died January 4th, 1944. Was an American psychiatrist. She was a member of the Communist Party USA and was a reporter and writer for the party's publication, Western Worker. She was also known for her romantic relationship with J. Robert Oppenheimer, the director of the Manhattan Projects and Los Alamos Laboratory during World War II. The daughter of John Strong. Perry Tatlock, a prominent old English philologist and an expert on Geoffrey Chaucer, Tatlock was a graduate of Vassar College and Stanford Medical School, where she studied to become a psychiatrist. Tatlock began seeing Oppenheimer in 1936, when she was a graduate student at Stanford and Oppenheimer was a professor of physics at the University of California, Berkeley. As a result of their relationship and her membership of the Communist Party, she was placed under surveillance by the FBI and her phone was tapped. Tatlock had clinical depression and died by suicide on January 4th, 1944. So that's what you would call a brief synopsis. But let's have a look at her early life. And I'd like to bear in mind that obviously, you know, there weren't a lot of information that I could find. So all of this is from Wikipedia. But as always, do take all of this from Wikipedia at a pinch of salt. And do please, you know, if you'd like to do your own research on the side, if you would like to know more. Jean Frances Tatlock was born in, Ann- born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on February 21st, 1914, the second child of John Strong Perry Tatlock and his wife Marjorie Nee Fenton. She had an older brother named Hugh, who became a physician. Her father, who had a PhD from Harvard University, was a noted and acclaimed professor of English at the University of Michigan. 
an old English philologist and expert on Geoffrey Chaucer, and English plays poems and Elizabethan literature. The author of approximately 60 books on those subjects, including the complete poetical works of Geoffrey Chaucer, 1912, and The Mind and Art of Chaucer, 1950. John Tatlock was a professor of English at Stanford from 1915 to 1925 and Harvard from 1925 to 1929. Before returning to the Bay Area as a professor of English at the University of California, Berkeley. Jean Tatlock attended Cambridge, Winds and Latin School in Cambridge, Massachusetts and Williams College in Berkeley. In 1930 she entered Vassar College. She graduated in 1935 and returned to Berkeley where she took courses to complete the prerequisites for Stanford Medical School and was a reporter and writer for the Western Worker, the Communist Party of America's organ on the west coast of the United States. She was accepted into the Stanford Medical School, then located in San Francisco where she studied to become a psychiatrist. She graduated from Stanford with the class of 1941. She completed her internship at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C., and residency at the Department of Psychiatry at Mount Zion Hospital, now a campus of the University of California San Francisco Medical Center in San Francisco. Romance with Oppenheimer Tatlock struggled with her sexuality, at one point writing to a friend that there was a period when I thought I was homosexual. I still am, in a way, forced to believe it but really, logically, I am sure that I, can, that I can't be because of my own masculinity. She began seeing Robert Oppenheimer in 1936, when she was a graduate student and Oppenheimer was a professor of physics at Berkeley. They met through his landlady, Mary Ellen Washburn, who was a member of the Communist Party. When Washburn held a fundraiser for Communist-backed Spanish Republicans, the couple started dating and reportedly had a passionate relationship. He proposed to her twice, but she refused. Tatlock is credited with introducing Oppenheimer to radical politics during the late 1930s and to people involved with or sympathetic to the Communist Party or related groups such as Rudy Lambert and Thomas Addis. The couple continued seeing each other after Oppenheimer became involved with Kitty Harrison, whom he married on November 1st, 1940. Oppenheimer and Tatlock spent the new year together in 1941 and once met at a Mark Hopkins Hotel in San Francisco. Oppenheimer's association with Tatlock's friend was used as evidence against him during his 1954 security hearing. In a letter to Major General Kenneth D. Nichols, General Major United States Atomic Energy Commission, dated March 4, 1954, Oppenheimer described the association as follows. In the spring of 1936, I had been introduced by friends to Jean Satlock, the daughter of a noted professor of English at the university, and in the autumn I began to cut her. 
and we grew close to each other. We were at least twice close enough to marriage to think of ourselves as engaged, between 1939 and her death in 1944. I saw her very rarely. She told me about her Communist Party memberships. They were on again, off again affairs and never seemed to provide for her what she was seeking. I do not believe that her, that her interests were really political. She loved this country and its people and its life. She was, as it turned out, a friend of many fellow travellers and communists, with a number of whom I was later to become acquainted. I should not give the impression that it was wholly because of Jean Tatlock that I made left-wing friends, or felt sympathy for causes which hitherto would have seemed so remote from me, like the loyalist cause in Spain and the organisation of migratory workers, I have mentioned some of the other contributing causes. I liked the new sense of the companionship, and at the time felt that I was coming to be part of the life of my time country. Whilst some historians believe that Oppenheimer had an extramarital affair with that look, while he was working with the Manhattan Project, others assert he met with Tatlock only once after he was picked to head that was picked to head the last Onomos laboratory in mid-June 1943. On June 14th, 1943, Oppenheimer was in Berkeley to recruit David Hawkins as an administrative assistant. Oppenheimer and Tatlock went to a Mexican restaurant in her green 1935 Plymouth coupe and spent the night together at her San Francisco apartment at 1405 Montgomery Street. All the while, US Army agents waiting in the street outside had them under surveillance. At that meeting, she told him that she still loved him, and wanted to be with him. He never saw her again. Edith Arnstein Jenkins recalled a conversation with Mason Robertson, a good friend of Tatlock's, in which he claimed Tatlock had told him she was a lesbian. It is plausible that Tatlock had a relationship with Mary Ellen Roxbourne. As a psychiatrist in training, she was required to undergo psychoanalysis, and therefore consulted Siegfried Bernfeld as part of her training in the 1940s. Homosexuality was seen as a as a pathological condition to become to be overcome, which may have led her led to her eventual suicide. Now, events prior, Tatlock had clinical depression and was being treated at Mount Zion. Zion, at around one p.m. on January fifth, nineteen forty-four, her father arrived at her apartment at 14.05 Montgomery Street when there was no response to his ringing the, ringing the doorbell. He climbed in through a window. He found her dead, lying on a pile of cushions in the bathroom, with her head submerged in a, party, in a partly filled bathtub. There was an unsigned suicide note which read, I am disgusted with everything. To those who love me and help me, all love and courage, I wanted to live and give and I got paralysed somehow. I tried like hell to understand and couldn't. I think I would have been a liability all of my life. At least I could take away the burden of a paralysed soul from a fighting world. Her father found her correspondence and sifted through it. 
Burning the letters and photographs in the fireplace at 5.10pm, he called the whole state funeral home. He contacted the police. The police arrived at 5.30pm, accompanied by the deputy coroner at the time of her death, and she was under surveillance by the FBI. And her phone had been tapped. So one of the first people informed about it was FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover via a teletype link. The news of her death was reported in the Bay Area newspaper. Washbourne cabled Charlotte Serber at Los Alamos. At the Liberian, she had accessed a technical area and told her husband, physicist Robert Serber, who then went to inform Oppenheimer. When he reached his office, he found that Oppenheimer already knew. The security chief at Los Alamos, Captain Pierre de Silva, had received the news throughout the wiretap, and Army Intelligence and had broken it to Oppenheimer. Tylock had introduced Oppenheimer to the poetry of John Donne, and it is widely believed he named the first test of a nuclear weapon Trinity in reference to one of Donne's poems as a tribute to her. In 1962, Leslie Groves wrote to Oppenheimer about the origin of the name and elicited this reply. I did suggest it. Why I chose her name is not clear, but I know what thoughts were in my mind. There is a poem of John Donne, written just before his death, which I know and love from its quotation. As west and east in all flat maps, and I am one, or one. So death doth touch the resurrection. In another better known devotional poem, Don opens, Batter my heart, three person, the God. Inquest. A formal inquest in February 1944 returned a verdict of suicide, motive unknown. In his report, the coroner found that Tatlock had eaten a full meal shortly before her death. She had taken some barbiturates, but not a fatal dose. Traces of chlorohydrates were found, a drug normally associated with a Mickey Finn, when combined with alcohol. But there was no alcohol in her blood. Despite damage to her pancreas that indicated she was a heavy drinker, as a psychiatrist working in a hospital, she had access to sedatives such as chlorohydrates. The coroner found that she had died at around 4.30pm on January 4th. (coughs) The cause of death was recorded as acute edema of the lungs with pulmonary congestion, drowning in the bathtub. It seemed likely that she knelt over the bathtub, took chlorohydrates, and plunged her head into the water. Now there is now the final part is um, the assassination theory. There has been speculation by historians and Tatlock's brother Hugh as to whether her death was by suicide, as there were suspicious circumstances surrounding it. The conspiracy theory that she was murdered by intelligence agents working for the Manhattan Project was bolstered by the 1975 Church Committee, which reveals details of assassinations carried out by American intelligence agencies. This theory was presented in a drama miniseries, Manhattan, and also in the 2023 film Oppenheimer in the latter. Oppenheimer imagines Tylock's death in different ways. She lowers her head gradually in a bathtub 
and in another scene, a gloved hand can be seen shoving her head beneath the water. One doctor, as stated in American Prometheus, observed that if one were clever and wanted to kill someone, chloral hydrate would be the way to do it. So, again, that is just that is just an assassination theory. Cremation: Tatlock's father had her remains cremated. Uh, portrayals: Tatlock was portrayed by Kate Harper in the 1980 TV miniseries Oppenheimer. Natasha Richardson in the 1989 film A Fat Man and Little Boy and Florian Pugh in the 2023 biopic film Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan. So that is Jean Tatlock. Obviously I will put all the links to Wikipedia and any other links I find me in the description below or should I say show notes. Um, so that was Jean Tatlock. Now, let's go to Catherine Oppenheimer. So, in the film, um, she goes by the name, she goes by Kitty. Um, so, Catherine Kitty Oppenheimer, knee printing, August 8th, 1910 to October 27th, 1972, was a German-American biologist botanist and a former member of the Communist Party of America. She is best known as the common law wife of activist Joe Dollett and then the wife of physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, the director of the Manhattan Project's Los Alamos Laboratory during World War II. So, <coughs> early life. Catherine Kitty Visseringi Puning was born in Recklinghausen, Westphalia, Prussia, Germany, on August 8th, 1910, the only child of Franz Pruning and his wife, Kath Wissering. Although she claimed that her father was a prince and that her mother was related to Queen Victoria, this was untrue. Her mother was a cousin of Wilhelm Kittel, who later became a field marshal in the German army during World War II and was hanged in 1946. Pruning arrived in the United States on May 4, 1913, aboard the SS Kaiser Wilhelm de Grosse. Her father, a, a metallurgical engineer, had invented a new kind of blast furnace and had gained employment with a steel company in Pittsburgh, and the family settled in the suburb of Aspinwall, Pennsylvania. Although her first language was German, she soon became fluent in English, speaking both languages, without accent. Her parents regularly took her with them on summer visits to Germany. After graduating from Aspinwall High School in June, 20, in June 1928, Puning enrolled at the University of Pittsburgh. She lived at home and attended freshman classes in mathematics, biology and chemistry. Her father now worked for coppers and held patents for the design of blast furnaces. Puning convinced her parents that it would be a good idea for her to study in Germany and she sailed for Europe in March 1930. It is doubtful that she took any classes but she did meet Frank Ramsell, an American studying music in Paris under Nadia Boulanger, before 
before sailing for home on May 19th. Cholin completed the first year of her degree but married Ramsay before a justice of the peace in Pittsburgh on December 24, 1932. The couple moved to an apartment near Harvard University where Ramsay hoped to pursue a master's degree in music. She re-enrolled at the University of Pittsburgh in January 1933 and returned to her parents' house in Aspinwall in June 1933. She sailed to Europe again with her husband when she returned. She enrolled at the University of Wisconsin. Although there is no record of her ever completing any classes, she obtained an enrollment of her marriage from the Superior Court of Wisconsin on December 20th, 1933. She later told friends that she had discovered evidence that Ramsey was a homosexual and a drug addict, as she also had an abortion. Communism. At New Year's Eve party later that year, Puring met Joseph Dalit Jr., the son of a wealthy Long Island businessman, who had attended Dartmouth, Dartmouth College at, after the 1927 executions of Sacco and Vanzetti. He joined the Communist Party of America in 1929. He had been involved in the International Unemployment Day protest in Chicago on the 6th of March 1930, that had been brutally repressed by the authorities and was currently working as a union organiser. With the steel workers in Youngstown, Ohio, at one point he ran for mayor of Youngstown on the Communist Party ticket, but was not elected. Pulling's parents had moved to Claygate, southwest of London where her father represented a Chicago-based firm on returning to the United States on the 3rd of August 1934 after visiting family in Europe. She moved in with Dalit, becoming his common-law wife. It's really, fun- it's really funny how, you know, times have changed, where, you know, <clears throat> back in this era, your wife would be known as your common common law wife whereas now you don't you don't really say that. It's fu- it's weird how times change. They shared a room in a dilapidated boarding house that costs five dollars per month. Gus Hall and John Gates had a room down the hall. They lived in the do- on the dole. Twelve pounds fifty per month as the wife of a party member, Puring was allowed to join the Communist Party, but only after proving her loyalty by distributing copies of the Daily Worker on the streets, her party dues were ten cents a week. They separated on June nineteen thirty-six, and Puring went to live with her parents in Claygate, where she worked as a German to English translator. Months went by without any word from Dalit, until Puring discovered that her mother had been hiding his letters to her. Her mother, her friend, and Wilson recalled what a real dragon. A very, a very repressive woman, she disappeared one day over the side of a transatlantic ship, and nobody misses her, missed her. That said it all. The last letter from Dalit said that he was heading to Spain on the RMS Queen Mary to join the International Brigade fighting in the Spanish Civil War. Puning met up with Dalit and his best friend Steve Nelson in Cherbourg and they travelled to Paris together. 
After a few days there, she returned to London and they headed south, crossing into Spain, where he joined the Mackenzie Papineau Battalion, a unit composed of American and Canadian volunteers. Puning wanted to join Dan in Spain and finally, finally secured permission to do so. Her trip to Spain was delayed by hospitalization for an operation on 26th of August 1937 for what was initially thought to be appendicitis, but which was determined to be an ovarian cyst, which were removed by the German doctors. Puning returned to England to recuperate before she could depart from Spain. The news arrived that Dalit had been killed in action on 17th of October 1937. His letters to her were published as letters from Spain by Joe Dalit, an American volunteer to his wife. Puling went to see Nelson, who was in Paris, having been wounded in August, and they returned to New York, where she stayed with Nelson and his wife Margaret at their home in Brooklyn for two months. She then headed for Philadelphia to see her friend Zelma Baker, who worked at the Cancer Research Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Puning enrolled at the University of Pennsylvania, there she met Richard Stuart Harrison, a medical doctor with degrees from Oxford University. He was completing his internship in the US, they were married on 23rd of November 1938. She subsequently left the Communist Party. So, that was the communism. Marriage with Oppenheimer. Soon after Harrison left for Pasadena, California, for his residency at the California Institute of Technology, Caltech, while she remained in Philadelphia to complete her bachelor's degree in botany at the University of Pennsylvania and was offered a postgraduate research fellowship at the University of California at Caltech, she worked with physicist Charles Robinson. The X-ray laboratory at Caltech used for physics research was also used for experimental cancer therapy research. It was at a garden party thrown by Lawrenson and his wife Sigrid on August 1939 that she met Robert Oppenheimer, a physicist who taught at Caltech for part of each year. Soon after, she began an affair with Oppenheimer. They were frequently seen in about town in his Chrysler Coupe. Oppenheimer had dated several women since his breakup with his long-time girlfriend, Jean Tanlock. Some of them married, like Kitty Harrison. At Christmas time, she went up to Berkeley without her husband to spend time with Oppenheimer. His friend, Hakon Sevier, met Kitty at a holiday dinner party thrown by the pianist, by the pianist Estelle Cayenne, one of Oppenheimer's ex-girlfriends. So, I'm guessing that, you know, <clears throat> Oppenheimer was a bit of a, um, a, late, a bit of a lady magnet, one would say. Um, I would say, I would use another word, but, you know, I want to keep this, um, PG, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, right, let me, like, um, Oppenheimer invited, invited Harrison and Kitty to spend the summer at his, at his New Mexico ranch. Piero Caliente, Harrison declined as he was engaged in his research, but Kitty accepted. Robert Serber and his wife, Charlotte, collected Kitty in Pasadena and drove her to Pierre Caliente, where they met up with Robert, 
his brother Frank Oppenheimer and his wife Jackie. The Serbers had met Kitty before at Charlotte Serbers' parents' house in Philadelphia in 1938. The Oppenheimers loved to ride through the prior through the pine and aspen forests and floral meadows of the Sangre de Cristo mountains, camping with minimal food and equipment. Kitty impressed them with her riding ability. Horsemanship was a normal accomplishment for women of her social class, and she had learned to ride as a girl on the riding trails around Aspenwald. Kitty and Robert rode out to stay the night with his friend Kitty Page in Los Panos, New Mexico. The following day, Paige rode to Piero Canetti on her bay horse to return Kitty's nightgown, which had been left under Robert's pillow. Later, Kitty later told Anne Wilson that she got Robert to marry her the old-fashioned way by getting pregnant. In September 1940, Robert phoned Harrison with the happy news, and they agreed that the best way forward was for Kitty to get a divorce so she could marry Robert. Soon after, Robert set a podium with Nelson to raise money for refugees from the Spanish Civil War, and he informed him that he was engaged to Kitty, Nelson's wife, was also pregnant, and he named his daughter, who was born in November 1940, Josie in memory of Dalit. To obtain a divorce, Kitty moved to Reno, Nevada, where she stayed for six weeks to meet the state's residency requirements. The divorce was finalised on November 1st, 1940, and Kitty married Oppenheimer the following day in a civil ceremony in Virginia City, Nevada, with the court janitor and clerk as witnesses. Manhattan Project their child, a son named Peter, was born in Pasadena on May 12, 1941. During Oppenheimer's regular session at Caltech, when they returned to Berkeley, he bought a new house at One Eagle Hill with a view of the Golden Gate. Kitty worked at the University of California as a laboratory assistant. They left Peter with the civilians and a German nurse and headed out to Pierre Caliente for the summer. The holiday was marred when Oppenheim was trampled by a horse, and Kitty injured her leg when she hit a, tar- a car in front of her while driving their Cadillac convertible. The United States enters World War II on December, in December 1941, and Oppenheimer began recruiting staff for the Manhattan Project. Among the first were the Serbers who moved into the apartment of the Goars at One Eagle Hill, on March 16, 1943, the couple boarded a train for Santa Fe, New Mexico, by the end of the month. They had moved to Los Alamos, New Mexico, where they occupied one of the buildings formerly belonging to Los Alamos Ranch School. Los Alamos was known to the occupants at the hill and to the Manhattan Project as Site Y. Oppenheimer became the director of Project Y. Kitty abdicated the role of post-commanded wife to Martha Parsons, the wife of Robert's deputy Navy captain, William S. Parsons. She put her biologist training to use working for the director of health of the health group at Los Alamos, Lewis Hempelman, conducting blood tests to assess the danger of radiation. In 1944, Kitty became pregnant again. Her second child, a girl, was born on December 7, 1944. 
She named her Catherine after her mother, but called her Tony, like other babies born in wartime as animals. Tony's birth certificate gave the place of birth as P.O. Box 1663. 16, in April 1945, Catherine was depressed by the isolation of animals, and she left Tony with Pat Sir, the wife of physicist, of physicist Ruby Sir. Pat had recently lost her son. Michael, to sudden infant death syndrome. Kitty returned with Peter to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, to live with her parents. They returned to Los Alamos in July 1945. With the end of the war in August 1945, Oppenheimer had become a celebrity, and Kitty had become an alcoholic. She suffered a series of burn breaks from drunken falls and car crashes. In November 1945, Robert left Lost animals to return to Caltech. But he soon found that his heart was no longer in teaching. In 1947, he accepted an offer from Louis Strauss to take up the directorship of the Institute for Advanced Study in Pittstown, New Jersey. The job came with rent free accommodation in, da- in the director's house, a 10 bedroom 17th century manor with a cook and groundskeeper. Surrounded by 265 acres of woodlands, Robert had a greenhouse built for Kitty where she raised orchids for her birthdays. Oppenheimer had rare species flown in from Hawaii. Olden Manor was sometimes known as Bourbon Manor. Kitty and Robert liked to keep the liquor cabinet well stocked and like many of their generation, liked to celebrate cocktail hour with martinis and Manhattans, old fashions and and highballs. Both were also fond of smoking. Kitty's habit of combining too much alcohol with smoking in bed led to a plethora of holes in her bedding and at least once and at least one house Fire. She sometimes took too many pills and suffered from abdominal, abdominal pains caused by pancreatitis. Pain often prompted outbursts of anger. In 1952, Tony contracted polio, and doctors suggested that a warmer climate might help. The family flew to the Caribbean, where they rented a 72-foot, 22-meter catch. Robert and Kitty's covered a shared love of sailing. While Tony soon recovered, the family spent part of its summer on a St. John in the Virgin Islands, eventually building a beach house there on Gibney Beach. On January 6, 1967, Robert was diagnosed with inoperable cancer and he died on 18th of February 1967. Kitty had his remains created with his ashes were placed in an urn which he took to St. John and dropped into the sea off the coast within sight of their beach house. She took up with Robert Server, whose wife, Charlotte, had died by suicide in May 1967. She talked him into buying a 52-foot, 16-meter yacht, um, a yacht in the town boat, um, which they sailed from New York to Granada. In 1972, they purchased a 52-foot-16-meter catch with the intention of sailing through the Panama Canal and to Japan via the Galapagos Islands and Tahiti. They set out, but Kitty became ill and was taken to Gurgaon Hospital in Panama City, where she died of an embolism on October 27, 1972.
Serba and Tony had remained committed and they scattered her ashes near Roberts. In popular culture, she was portrayed by Jana Seldon in the 1980 TV miniseries and by Bonnie Badella in the 1989 film A Fat Man and Little Boy. She was played by Emily Blunt in Christopher Nolan's 2023 film Oppenheimer. That is Catherine Kitty Oppenheimer. Now let's go on to Ruth Sermon Tolman. Now unfortunately um, I couldn't find a photo of her anywhere. Um, so I would do my so I would do my best to try and find you know, a photograph of her um, before this goes up. But um, I can only find so much information about her. But <clears throat> Tournament was born in Washington, Indiana on October 9th, 1893. Not much is known about her early life. She received an undergraduate degree in psychology from the University of California. Los Angeles and 1917. During her initial graduate studies at UCLA, she surveyed psychological variations in different groups of criminals. This is where she met her husband, Richard Tolman, a mathematical physicist and physical chemist, who served as a dean of the graduate school at the time. They married in 1924 when she was 30 years old. Richard Tolman, who moved to the California Institute of Technology in 1922, is best known for serving as Vice Chairman of the National Defense Research Committee under Chairman Vannevar Bush and as a scientific advisor to Major General Leslie Groves of the Manhattan Project during World War II. During her career, Tolman was a prominent figure in the subfield of clinical psychology. Following her marriage, she stayed on as a research associate and instructor at UCLA 1927-1929, before teaching at Occidental College, instructor of psychology 1930-1932, and Scripps College, lecturer in psychology 1934, also receiving her MA in psychology from Occidental in 1930, shortly before completing her PhD in clinical psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, in 1937. She became a senior psychological examiner for the Los Angeles County Probation Department, 1936-1940. While writing six books and helping to create an early treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder, she was also the first woman ever to be elected to the Society for the Psychological Study of Social Issues. There was much controversy that surrounded her being selected, as Richard Tolman's brother was the creator of the SPSSI. Tolman was very confident in her abilities and did not attribute her success to her connection to her brother-in-law. She was proactive in helping other women achieve the same goals as she had. Throughout World War II, she served on a committee called the Service of Women Psychologists in the Emergency Committee of Psychology. ECP for short. The organization's purpose was to help prepare women psychologists to fill the role of male psychologists who were away serving in the military and to help address this, the discrimination felt by female psychologists. 
As the war commenced, Tommen was recruited by government agencies that were then hiring psychologists. After the Tommens temporarily relocated to Washington, D.C., she spent a year between 1941 and 42 as an associate social science analyst with the program survey section of the Department of Agriculture. This led to a two-year stint, 1942 to 1944, as a public opinion analyst with the Office of War Information. Her last assignment, 1944 to 1945, was that of clinical psychologist with the Office of Strategic Services which was the forerunner of the Central Intelligence Agency. The role required her to devise tests to assess the psychological stability of field agents. During this period, she began an affair with, guess who, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Following the war, she and her, and her husband returned to Los Angeles. There, Tomlin became head of clinical psychology, training at the Veterans Administration's of local office firm from 1946-1954. Treating soldiers who were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, then characterised as battle fatigue, this effort greatly advanced her career and made her a noteworthy, a noteworthy figure. From 1953 to 1957, she also served as a clinical professor of psychology at UCLA while maintaining an affiliation with the Veterans Administration's local mental hygiene clinic, 1954 to 1957. Personal life. Her personal life was not as well known as was her professional life. Although married to Richard Chase Tolman, she was alleged to have had an ongoing affair with her good friend, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the wartime head of the Los Alamos laboratory, and main figure credited with being the father of the atomic bomb, for his role in the Manhattan Project. She was ten years older than Oppenheimer during their wartime, their wartime service. The Tolmans bought a house in Washington where Oppenheimer often stayed when he was called to the capital. Her husband died of a heart attack in 1948. Some people contend that he died of a broken heart. However, the authors of the book, An Atomic Love, story, a chronicle of the lives of Robert Oppenheimer and the extraordinary women in his life, concluded, it was not believed to have been sexual. Only a close emotional bond and connection. Ruth Sherman Tolman died in California at the age of 64 on September 18th, 1957, and was buried, buried in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. In popular culture, in the 2023 film Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan, Tolman was portrayed by actor Louis Lombard, who is an English actress seen known for her roles as Evangeline Elliot in the BBC drama series The House of Elliot, and Sophia Curtis in the CBS drama series CSI Crime Scene Investigation 2004 to 2011. And so that will conclude this episode on that. Um, again, I will try my best to find more information and include those in the show notes. Um, so yeah, um, but Having seen the film Oppenheimer, um, I would highly recommend you go see it if you have um, or haven't. Um, 
But if you have, let me know your thoughts. What did you think? Um, did you whether part? Did you enjoy the whole thing, or were there certain parts you enjoyed more than most? Um, I will pop up pop up a question. Um, but you know, um, so yeah, let me know. But that would be it. Um, I hope you um enjoy the rest of your day. Um, you know, make sure that you take care of your mental health, uh, your well being. And so, yeah, thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next one.